Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we give God a hand this morning? Just... I love coming together, worshiping together. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF, and I just want to say welcome to church. We are glad that you are with us today. If you're watching online right now, we are so grateful that you are taking time to join and be part of our community here today. If you're part of ACF Church, I just want to say welcome back. Welcome back to another week. Thank you for coming and being part of this community and making up who ACF is. If you're new today and it's your first time coming, I want to say welcome. Thank you for coming and and, and being here, checking us out. I I don't know what your journey is right now, but wherever it is, it's landed you here today. So we are grateful that you are with us this morning. So we've been walking through uh, the book of James this summer. It's been an entire summer walking through James, and it's, it's been a great summer. It's been an awesome series, and uh, we've learned so much and been challenged so much from the writings of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to dive into the final chapter today, chapter 5. But before we do, I want to ask you guys a question. Does anybody have that friend who's just like uber-direct? Like, they are, like, the direct, they're going to say it how it is. They don't care. Like, it doesn't matter the situation. They're, you're going to be in a crowd of people, and they're just going to look at you like, bro, your breath, it stinks. Fix it. Right? Does it get anybody, anybody have that friend? Anybody have that friend? Anybody married to that person that's just going to call it how it is? Yes. Anybody that person? Who's that person in the room? Like, yeah, if I see something, I'm going to call it out. I don't got a problem with that. Well, that is who James, that is the way James approaches his writings to the church. He's writing to a very young, early church. Like the, the church has only been around for a hot minute and, and it's very new. And so James is writing to them and he's very direct with what he says. And in chapter five, he even turns it up a bit more. Um, he goes from like, hey, that doesn't look great on you. You might want to change to you're going out in that. Yeah, I'm not going with you. Like, have fun. I, like, I'm not going to be seen in public with you wearing that kind of, kind of comments he makes. And, and honestly, uh, the beginning of chapter 5, it's, it's kind of harsh when you read. I don't know if you've been reading ahead, reading along with us, but the beginning of chapter 5, it, it gets a little harsh. Um, and we need to remember, it's actually written in love. But I'm going to ask us to do something in this room. Everyone in this room, I'm going to ask us if we could do something together this morning. And what that is, is as we read James chapter 5, starting in verse 1, I'm going to ask us that we would approach this passage as if it was for us. In other words, this is the type of passage, when I'm about to read it, it's a really easy passage to read and go, oh, I know who that's for. Oh, that, my sister, definitely needs to read this. Right, my, my boss at work, they, I got to figure out a way to get this passage in front of him. I know this is for somebody else. What I want to challenge us today is I have done this myself. As we read this, let's read it as if it was for us, as if there's something in here for us to take away this morning. Are you ready? Remember, you are loved. Okay, here we go. James 5 starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich. 
Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Welcome to church. All right, let's continue. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moss-eaten. Your gold and your silver, they have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts and have and you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence you have uh, fattened your heart in the day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you can i get an amen right like wow james thanks tell me what you really think tell me what you really think now i know what some of you might be thinking right now Come on, I have been trying to get my neighbor to come to church for the last 18 months, and this is the Sunday they said yes. This is the Sunday they decide to come, and this is the passage we get to cover. First of all, we're reading through James, so you should have known, but (laughs) the reality is I think this is a great Sunday to come to church. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a great Sunday for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a really great Sunday for you to come to church. And I'll tell you why. Here's the deal. We are going to be talking about money today. James talks about money, so we're going to talk about money today. Now, hear me out. I promise you this. This is not going to be one of those, hey, we really need your money. Just give all your money to the church. This is not going to be one of those, you know, hey, if you, if you, if you give $50, you're going to get blessed with $100 next week type of message. But we're going to talk about money today, and this is really important, and here's why. Money affects all of us. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you believe God exists or you completely believe that there is no God, I think we could all agree in this room that money affects all of us. It is the root to so much that is going on in our world. Wars are fought. Countries go to war with each other over money, right? Divorce is so high in our country and in this world. And one of the number one reasons for divorce is money. The top two reasons for divorce are sex and money, right? Crimes happen daily so often because of money. Money affects all of us. Again, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, even the great philosopher, notorious B.I.G., said it so eloquently when he said, mo' money, mo' problems. It's a reality that you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to recognize and understand, right? It's why James is direct when he talks about it. In fact, in the letter of James, in the book of James in the Bible, he actually talks to the wealthy people over and over and over again. It's why Jesus talked about money often. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. It affects all of us. And so as we walk through the book of James, as we're getting on that final stretch, as we've started the final chapter, the one thing that we need to understand, the one kind of overarching theme with James is this, is that the whole book of James is about how real faith results in real action, which results in real change in our lives. Real faith, if you, if you say you have faith in Jesus, real faith has real action, which 
results in real change in our lives. And when it comes to money, I think we all need to have some action and some change in our lives and how we handle it, how we think about it, and how we deal with it on a daily basis. So James talks to the wealthy actually several times in his letter specifically. And the reason he does is because he knows that the wealthy are are at a higher risk of missing out on the kingdom of God. Now, having money does not mean you miss out on the kingdom of God. Okay, that need, you need to understand that today. Many wealthy people in Scripture followed God diligently. But Jesus teach th- teaches this, Paul teaches this, and James teaches this, that if you have wealth, you are at a higher risk of missing out on the kingdom of God. But you see, money is, is neutral. Money is just money. It's like a tool. It's like a hammer. Money can be used to do great things, and money can be used to do terrible things. Just like a hammer. You could, you could build a house. You could build a shelter. You could take care of somebody, or you could kill somebody with it. right? Like it's, money is just a tool. What we're going to see today is this is about our hearts. Now, you might be in this room, and you might be thinking, I'm glad this does not apply to me, because I broke. Right? Like... <laughs> I'm broke. I'm, I'm, I'm a college student. I'm living off ramen and Kool-Aid packs, right? I got a loud amen from the crowd in the first service. Like, yeah, that's me. Amen. I'm broke. This doesn't apply to me. Hold on just a second. Uh-oh. Let's read what Paul writes. I want us to look at something because I think this applies to everybody today. Paul has this young protege pastor that he's mentoring. And this pastor is a pastor of a church in a very um, influential town, an affluent city. And in this church, there's a lot of wealthy people in the church. So Paul is coaching Timothy how to speak and how to pastor these wealthy people. And this is what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, you may be broke in this room, but... Do you desire to be wealthy? Are you in school right now, broke, but you know, one day I'm going to get this job. Like, do you desire to be wealthy? Do you have a love of money in your life? Because I promise you this, you can have no money and still love money. Right? You can have no money and still love money. It's about the attitude of our heart. So as we dive into James today, let's approach this like, okay, Maybe I don't have a lot of money right now. Maybe I'm hoping to get a lot of money one day, which in that I would say there's nothing wrong. Maybe. We'll we'll dive into that. But I think that if you have loved money, you do love money, or you think one day you might love money, this can apply to you today. So when we look at at, at these six verses in James, what we see happening here is James gives a warning out. Um, He actually actually writes like like, uh, Jeremiah writes. In, in, way back in the Old Testament, like destruction is coming. For Jeremiah, it's like, Israel, you screwed up, destruction's coming. For, for James, he says, wealthy people, you've messed up. Destruction's coming for you. So what we see in these six verses is destruction's coming for, me, for you, and here's why it's coming. He lists four reasons why destruction is coming for them. Three of them have to do with how 
they've handled their money. The last one, he says that you killed the righteous one who does not resist you. What he's talking, he's, he's writing to the Jews, and he's saying, look, you, you killed Jesus, and so destruction's coming for you because of that. And so we're not going down that road today. I think there's some deep, rich stuff for us we can learn from that. But today I want us to focus on the three ways that the wealthy people handled their finances, which caused destruction to come upon them. <clears throat> I'm going to give them to you off the top. Ready? The three ways that they handled their money. One, they hoarded their wealth. Two, they were fraudulent and stingy with their money. And three, they lived lives in full pursuit of luxury and self-indulgence. These are the three ways, the three things that the wealthy did with their finances. So we're going to jump into them now. The first one, they hoarded their wealth. It says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. The NIV says, you hoarded your wealth in the last days. So what does that mean, hoarding wealth? Well, hoarding is simply this. Hoarding is taking without needing and it's guarding without sharing. Taking without needing and guarding without sharing. Now, let's, I want to use an example for this. Let's, let's use a different example other than money so we're kind of all on the same playing field because I know everyone in this room has different ideas of what wealth is, different ideas of what hoarding can be. So let's use something different. Let's just, I don't know, randomly take, uh, like, let's just say toilet paper, okay? Let's talk about toilet paper. Let's say... <laughs> There was a time in life when people began to hoard toilet paper for some odd reason. Like, let's just say, let's just pretend a world pandemic happened, right? And people were hoarding toilet paper, and and you'd you'd go to Costco, and normally you'd see families take one or two of the big packs, and all of a sudden they have like seven carts loaded from top to bottom with toilet paper. Like, people were waiting for Costco to like uncut the cellophane around all the toilet paper and they'd, they'd rush it for some weird reason. I don't know, like, like Charmin's going out of business or something like that. Like, let's just say for a minute people were hoarding toilet paper. I, it's hard to imagine, but let's pretend for a moment. See, why do people do that? What, what was going on? Fear. But at the end of the day, people were finding their security in the, of what they could hoard. People were finding their security in toilet paper. We can't run out of toilet paper because then it gets real bad. Like, this pandemic's bad enough. This pandemic with no toilet paper, that's the apocalypse, right? But people were taking when they really didn't need to. Like, toilet paper's being shipped to Alaska. It never stopped. And even in the lower 48, it was happening, and they had way better access than we did. But there was this fear, and there was this thought of, I need to have more so I'm safe. See, we... Hoarding puts us in this mindset of what I have is my security. What I have is going to get me through these next few days, these few moments. But the problem with hoarding is this. Hoarding is the very antithesis of the character of God. We serve a generous God, and when we live lives of hoarding, we live in direct contrast to the character of our God. Over and over again, Scripture talks about the generosity of God, that he lavishes things upon his children, that he, all good and perfect gifts come from our God, that Jesus wants us to live lives of abundance and fullness. The Psalms say that in your right hand, God, are pleasures forevermore. That's what he has for us. And when we hoard and we take, and all of a sudden, I have lots of toilet paper and you have none, and you're going to have to figure that out on your own. But I'm good. Right When my security comes in what I have, that puts me in a whole different mindset. It makes me live counter to the very culture, the very person, the very character of who God is. And hoarding does something else, too. 
See, when we hoard, it denies us of the proper use of our wealth. See, having wealth, it's not sinful. Again, having the money, having money is not sinful of itself. Money is not sinful. And having it is not necessarily sinful. I mean, it can be in, in the certain circumstances, but let's just say for a moment, having money is not sinful for you, but when we hoard it, what it does is it denies us of the pro- proper use of wealth. See, hoarding robs you of the purpose and the joy found in wealth and riches, which is to bless others. Hoarding robs you of the proper Use of wealth and riches, which is to bless others. You see, the blessing of wealth is in the giving away of it. That is the blessing of wealth. God does bless people, different people, with different amounts of wealth. And the blessing in there is to give it away. Paul teaches us that Jesus taught that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And and if you've ever been on that end of something where you're able to meet somebody's needs, and maybe even meet them above what they actually need, but lavish upon somebody who is in great need, you would know that it is so much more filling to give that away than to hoard it to yourself. And you might even walk away from a situation if you've ever given it away going, wow, I know they were blessed, but I can't believe how incredibly blessed I am right now from this situation. Paul, again, as he writes to Timothy, teaching him how to pastor wealthy people. This is what he says. He says, as for, as, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hope the uncertainty of riches. Right? To set your hope in the uncertainty of riches. How many of us remember and understand and know, like, the wealth that we have can be gone like that tomorrow morning. Like, it could turn south in New York real quick. And, and all that we have, all that we've saved is gone. He says, tell them not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, that when you're generous with your wealth, when you give it away and use it for the purpose that God gave it to you for, that you, all of the sudden, you take hold that which is truly life. That is the purpose for wealth. See, wealth is our responsibility that God has given to us to do something with for a purpose. See, wealth can either be a blessing that we use to leverage for opportunities to bless others, or it can be something that we just pull back into our storehouses, build up more, build up more. We can hoard it or we can give it away, but it's our responsibility to do with it which God intended for it to be done. And again, how many of you guys have ever met somebody or know someone that just, it seems like they can't help but make money? Right? They're like, yeah, I, I started a new uh, umbrella company uh, last weekend, a million dollars already. It's like, you're like, oh, I don't like you. Stop it. But God's blessed certain people with, with the ability of, of like entrepreneurship. Like, it's a real gift from God. There's so many people that have these gifts, and God allows them to gain wealth, and this is not a bad thing. But God definitely allows them to gain wealth to do something with it for the kingdom of God. Like how many people can they support? How many missionaries can they support? How many wells can they help dig and build in, in undeveloped countries? Like the ability, like we need money to do these things and God has given certain people even a higher capacity and ability to make money and that's, that's not a bad thing at all. 
In fact, Proverbs says this, lazy hand makes for poverty, but a diligent hand brings wealth. Like, it's not bad to work and to earn and those things, but it's the mindset that we approach it of like, is this mine to hoard or is there something for this? Is this my responsibility with these finances? Since we look at our lives to see, do I hoard? Am I a hoarder? Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Ask ourselves. Do you handle your finances like they are your security or your responsibility? Do you handle your finances like they're your security or your responsibility? Having money is not a sin, but hoarding it can be. The second thing that these people did with their money is they were fraudulent and stingy with their money. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. It's interesting that verse continues. It says that their, their cries have reached the ears of the Lord. So if you ever wonder, like, does God notice my sin? Well, we do notice that when we're fraudulent with our money, the cries of the people we've frauded, God hears that. That's kind of scary. Have you ever been fraudulent with your money? Now, my kind of knee-jerk reaction to that question is, no. I'm, never, I'm not a fraudulent person. I'm not, you know, doing all these shady business deals and that kind of stuff. Now, maybe someone in this room or watching online right now, you, you know exactly. You're like, yeah, that's actually me. I, I'm kind of a shady person when it comes to my business. But for me, I was like, no, of course not. I'm not fraudulent. This, yeah, I, can, I can kind of skip past this one. Um, but then I started to really think about the way I handle money. And really, I think what's ingrained in humanity, I think we're all just a little fraudulent, right? I think we're all can be a little extra stingy with our money. Like, have you ever, have you ever been on Facebook Marketplace? Like, have you ever dealt with people when it comes to money? Like, we're all always trying to jockey for position and, like, I want to I get the most from you with giving you as little as possible, right? Like, I, I have my kids, and I'm like, I, I started paying attention one time to, like, the way they think about and deal with money. I'm like, they are, like, they're going to get in trouble with the IRS if I don't, like, teach them well, like, just being fraudulent with each other. Hey, Cyrus, can I have this? I'll give you $5 for it. Sure. Oh, I only have $2. Well, there you go. Thanks. You know, kind of thing. I remember, like, my youngest son would have something that the older two siblings would want. He'd be, like, five, six years old, and he'd maybe get something for his birthday or whatever, and like a, even, like, a big piece of cake he had, and it's, like, his older brother's like, hey, Elias, I'll give you a whole penny for that. Just a whole penny's yours. And Elias is like, he wants to make money so he can buy stuff. He's like, done. I will, or I will take that penny. Thank you. And I'm watching this happen. I'm like, no. Like, Cyrus, you are cheating your brother out. You know that that is worth more than a penny. So you're going to give it back to him, and he gets to keep the penny. Joke's on you, right? Like, you're going to learn the lesson. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's like this. I didn't teach him that. They just know to do things, like cheat each other out of things with money. And I think we're, we're all in that way. And I would say, when, when we're, especially when we're, like, extra stingy, and I, I would even, even put, like, being overly stingy with our money under the guise of, of being fraudulent with our money. No, don't get me wrong. There's, there's working out a good, fair deal for things. I'm not saying we have to pay the most for everything and all that. Not at all. There's being wise with our money. Scripture is full about being wise with our finances. But then you, you can cross a line, Right? where it's just about being stingy. It's like, you know what? I'm going to show that waitress, like, I'm going to let her know how terrible her service was by how terrible my tip is. Instead of the flip side of that going, you know what? That waitress may be having a terrible day. I'm going to just bless them with more than they deserve. 
right? It, it's, it's, and, and maybe you have employees, maybe you have a business, you have employees that work for you. It's, it's this idea of I want to get the most out of you with giving you the very least. That's this fraudulent heart, this fraudulent attitude, this stingy heart. And maybe you don't have employees, but maybe you've hired the neighbor kid next door to come and shovel your driveway, right? And you have like a 500-yard driveway that they shoveled, and you're like, hey, here's two bucks after seven hours of work. Like, I would classify that as definitely stingy, if not fraudulent, for the hard work that people put in. And this is what these people are doing with their wealth, and it's saying that it's reaching the ears of the Lord. See, the truth is you cannot be a stingy person and a generous person at the same time. Not possible. You can't be stingy and generous at the same time. And again, we serve a generous God. We are, we are to look like our God. We are to be people who are generous people. But so often we become people who like fight for every dollar, right? Every dollar that goes out is a battle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight to not give that. If I have to give it out, I will. But instead of be people who battle for every dollar, can we be people who are generous and not stingy or fraudulent with our money? See, making money, it's not a sin to make money, but are you a financially honest person? It's not a sin to save money. That's a good thing. Again, Scripture talks about this, but there, we cross this line. Being fraudulent, dishonest, and stingy with our money are signs that we are no longer serving Jesus but serving money. If you look at your life and go, am I fraudulent? Am I dishonest? Am I stingy with my money? That is a sign that I am serving my money over Jesus. And Jesus tells us in Luke, look, you can't serve both God and money. You're going to love one and hate the other. You can't do it. It can't be done. And if you're wondering, do I serve money or do I serve God? Am I fraudulent? Am I stingy with every dollar that I have? And there's a good way to, to really kind of come through this and work through this. And I want to say this to you. See, what we need to understand is that everything that we have comes from God. All of it. Not, not some dollars, all the dollars. Not some of my possessions, all of my possessions. That everything I have comes from God. And so that if you want to start working through in your heart this attitude of it's all mine and I need to hold on to it, I want to challenge you with something. Start tithing. Start tithing. See, what, what a tithe is, tithe is throughout all Scripture. Tithe just simply means the, a tenth. But what it is, is a, a tithe is an attitude in our hearts and our minds that says, God, all I have is yours. All I have is yours. I'm giving you what is first. I'm giving back to you, just recognizing, celebrating, and worshiping you. See, for us, tithe is not like, hey, give your money to the church. No, see, tithing is, is a blessing for, for you to be able to go, God, I am not going to be ruled. I'm not going to be controlled by my money. I'm not going to serve my money and not you. I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to start by giving back what, what already belongs to you, but putting you first in my finances. It's a great way to move from this stinginess or really fraudulence where we can be fraudulent with our money when we don't give it back to God who calls us to give what is his back. And so it's, it's a difficult thing to do, especially if you've never done it before, but I would challenge you, look at your budget and go, hey, is this an area of growth that we need in our lives so that we can put God first in our finances? So the question that we really need to ask ourselves is this when we look at am I fraudulent, am I stingy with my money is am I honest with my finances or have I been fraudulent to get ahead? Am I honest with my finances? Have I paid people what they're owed, what they're due, or have I been fraudulent to try to get ahead and get more in my life? See, making money is not a sin, but how we make it can be. And the last thing that we see 
with uh, these people that have that destruction is coming upon them the way they handle their money, the last thing we see is that they have lived lives in full pursuit of luxury and self-indulgence. It says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in the day of the slaughter. This is a tough one because this is kind of the American way, right? To pursue luxury and self-indulgence. To say, to, to, to say no to nothing, that I, what I want, I'm going to take, I'm going to have. I just need bigger, I need better. Then I need bigger, then I need better. Then I need bigger, and then I need better. Again. Again, there's, there's no sin in having things. But we, this pursuit of luxury and self-indulgence, it becomes so dangerous. I found this quote a few weeks ago. It's pretty, it's pretty damning. It's pretty pretty convicting, and this is what he says. It says, we must keep the tightest hold on luxury spending. The more we surround ourselves with possess- possessions, which only minister to creature comforts, the less we are likely to cultivate spiritual trimness and physique, which keeps us fit for the battle for holiness. Furthermore, when we allow such wealth as we possess to focus our attention on ourselves and our satisfactions, then we are ministering to that spirit of pleasure, desire and wanting for self, which is the root of all unholiness and unfaithfulness to God. Really, we need to ask the question when we, when we have our stuff and we try to buy stuff and possess stuff is, does our stuff draw us to a place of blessing others, open-handedness and humility? It, when we have our stuff, does our stuff draw us to these places of open-handedness and humility and willingness to bless others? Again, having the stuff is not necessarily the sin. It can be. But I know several people that have really nice things, and they're so generous with them. They're so open with them. I know people with really nice houses, very large houses, and the reason they have them is to be able to host people. Like, they have people in their house nonstop, missionaries staying at their houses, life groups happening in their houses. In fact, we even see in Scripture, as the church is exploding, there's this woman, and she's really, really wealthy, and she has a really big, nice house, and she keeps hosting missionaries, and, and in fact, the church starts in her house. A pl- they had no place to meet, so she opens up her home. Blessing, open-handedness, that is a good thing. But it quickly quickly can take us to a place of closed-fistedness, of going, no, 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 this is my stuff. It's really nice. i got to protect it. It's dangerous. The quote that I read, it actually continues, and this is what it says. He says, would we be surprised that this is convicting? Would we be surprised if only we could remember how often the Lord Jesus Christ has taken second place to our possessions and, has, and it has been much less than the Lord of our financial arrangements Worldly wealth is an area of high risk in the battle to walk humbly with God. It is hard to be rich and lowly at the same time. The use of money and the life of self-pleasing are never far apart. It's dangerous. Again, doesn't mean it can't be done. We do see in Scripture often, many times, where people were wealthy and generous. But man, wealth, it can build us to a place of Arrogance can build us to a place of not being lowly. It's hard to be lowly and wealthy at the same time. See, and here's the lie. The problem is, is we've all believed a great lie. And this is for everyone, whether you follow Jesus or not. Everyone has believed this lie, and that is this, that our possessions, that our wealth will satisfy us. Is that it will satisfy us. 
And that is the great light. And the funny thing is, I think most people would say, yeah, that's not really true. And yet we still fall into that trap, right? Like this pursuit of, of wealth, this pursuit of just things. Oh, it's just one more thing. It's just one more thing. Then I'll be satisfied. Like have you ever said or have a kid say, look, mom and dad, if you just buy me this one thing, you don't have to buy me a Christmas gift for seven Christmases because I'll be satisfied for the rest of my life. That's a good deal. You jump on that, parents, if you ever get that offer. But you know it's going to backfire. Because of course it's not going to satisfy. Of course there's going to be more desires and more want. This is what stuff does to us. It makes us want more stuff. And I think we all can agree on that. When we look at people with great wealth, so often they're filled with great emptiness. Right? One of the scariest quotes when it comes to this thing it comes from Rockefeller, who was the wealthiest man at the time in the world. And a reporter asked him one time, how much more money do you need to make? And his response was, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. It never satisfies. I don't know if you saw, just we had the Olympics. And, and, and there was a lot uh, going on with just uh, mental health and all this stuff. And Michael Phelps was in an interview. And he went through a really, really dark time. And, and he talked in the interview and he said, look, I, I won all these gold medals. I mean, I reached the top. And when I reached there, it was like, is this it? This is it? I, I hope there's more to life than this. And the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus, we know the truth that there is so much more to life. See, it's a lie that possessions will satisfy you and fill you. That is a lie of the world. And, and we all jump on that ship. All of us jump on that boat. And we sail off into the sea of, like, of want and greed. But the truth is there is actual real satisfaction in this life. And if you don't know Jesus, we want you to know that Jesus does satisfy completely. That you will never be left wanting more, needing more You'll never be left going, wow, that was okay, but I still feel empty inside when you have a real, true encounter with Jesus. Jesus says, look, I came, to ha- I came to this earth to give you life and give it to you abundantly, that there's a fulfillment and a fullness of life in, in Christ. But the problem is often when the more possessions we have, the more it can draw us away from that. Jesus tells a story, and, and there's, this, there's this man, or actually this, this really happened, um, uh, this rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Eternal life. Can you imagine if, if, if you didn't know the secret to eternal life, which is Jesus, but you were like looking to live forever, and, and someone said to, to jump through these hoops and you'll live forever? I, th- I think I would jump through those hoops. But this man comes to Jesus, and he's like, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus says, okay, you need to follow the law. And the guy's like, yeah, perfect, done that since I was a kid. And then Jesus says, okay, just one more thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And it says he walked away sad, that his possessions had a tighter grip on him than following Jesus, that he'd rather live for now today than have eternal life tomorrow. And so our possessions, they put us in a, a dangerous place of walking away sad. It doesn't mean we will. It does not mean we will. But Solomon, the the richest, wisest man to ever live, the richest man to ever walk the planet, this is what he said about riches. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. The richest man to ever live said, it does not satisfy. But again, it doesn't mean having things 
is sinful either. It comes back to our heart. Solomon also wrote this in that same book. He said, just a few verses later, he says, Behold what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat and drink and find enjoyment with all the toil with which one toils under the sun, uh, the few days of his life that God has given to him. For this is his lot. Everyone, who, uh, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power uh, to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his to- toil. This is a gift from God. So again, I, I, I say that to, to really hammer home the point. It's not, the money is not, wealth is not, the sin. It, it comes back to our hearts. But to also recognize the more we have, the more we are in risk and danger of walking away sad. So the question we, we want to ask ourselves is this is do I pursue luxury? Do I pursue self-indulgences? Do you find yourself striving for luxury and comfort or for kingdom and sacrifice? Do you find yourself striving for luxury and comfort or kingdom and sacrifice? Do you hold the things you have in your hand openly and go, God, you can take them, you can give them. It's all yours. But when you take it, I pray it goes to further your kingdom. I'm willing to sacrifice, God. See, all of this really can be summed up simply like this, is why was destruction coming upon the wealthy when when James wrote this letter? It was coming upon them because they loved money more than they loved God and people. At the end of the day, destruction was coming upon them because they loved money more than they loved God and people. And it is so easy to get there, right? It is so easy to get there. Augustine, I don't know if you know who he is. Um, He's considered a saint. He was kind of a father of the church. And and he was preaching a sermon, and, and this is what he says in his sermon. He says, what I see here, after all, is that you love money in such a way that when the love of money gives an order, you undertake hard labor, you put up with starving, you cross the sea, you commit yourself to wind and wave, Love like that. And, and, and I don't want to be loved more than that, says God. I'm talking to the riffraff. I'm speaking to the greedy. You love money. Love me just as much. Of course, I'm comparably better. Love me just as much as you love money. It's interesting to think. Can you imagine if we loved God as much as we love money? Can you imagine if we loved God as much as we talk about money? Right? Like we, we live most our days around money, right? We work really hard at jobs. We, we plan our future. Man, am I, am I saving enough? Am I investing enough? Do I have enough to live for today, retire tomorrow? Am I leaving anything to my kids? Am I growing in my values? My home growing in value? Are these good investments? Like, we think about money a lot. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we thought about God that much? Have we thought about Jesus this much? Am I investing into the kingdom of God? Am I reaching the lost? Are the words that I'm saying having a, a, a life-giving effect to the people around me? Or, or are the words I'm saying cutting people down? Is my walk with Jesus evident to the people around me? And are they blessed because of it? Like if we thought that way, the way we think about money, I, the world would know, right? Like the world would know. Can we do that? Can we do that? And so, as we close today, something that we do every single week 
is we have something called action steps. And there's a, there's a card on your seat when you came in, and at the bottom of it, there's some action steps. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to fill those out. We, what we don't want to do is, is talk, be convicted, be challenged, and then go back and nothing changes in our lives. And so if you fill that out, all that's going to happen is, is you're going to check just the one, just one. This is what God's challenging me with this week. Check one. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to shoot you a text halfway through the week to say, hey, we're praying for you. We love you. And hey, just a reminder, this is what you committed to. And so here's some ways that you, know, you can walk and fulfill that commitment. But our action steps this week, the first one is surrender to Jesus. You've not said yes to Jesus. He's the only true joy and satisfaction in life. That there is joy and satisfaction beyond anything you've ever experienced and know that does not fade away and, and, and disappear, but it's true. And so maybe that's you today. And you, you just need to say yes to Jesus. Number two is take proper steps to begin tithing. I'm gonna put God first. Again, it, it's, it's so much less about like, the money to us, it's so much more about how you view God in your finances and putting him first. And maybe you're in this room tonight and you're, or today and you're like, I am so upside down in my finances. Like, if I tithe 10% of what I make, like, I will be living on the streets. Then don't tithe 10% of what you make, but give what you can. Be honest, but give, give what you can and begin to make plans to work up towards that tithe to put God first. And then beyond, if you're in here and you're a tither and you're like, yeah, I got that one check box, what's beyond that? Like, it's, again, it's not about like the 10%. It's not about this legalistic number. It's about God in our hearts and in charge of our finances. Uh, number three, be intentionally generous with your stuff or your finances this week. Be generous with your stuff. Maybe you got the really big house and you're like, you know what? I could have a life group meeting at my house. I don't know, a lot of people, a lot of kids equal a lot of feet on the carpet. Kids are hard on stuff. Yes, they are. It's okay. They will be hard on your house. And yet people will be blessed and you will be blessed. So maybe this week you're going to be intentional with your finances or your stuff to bless other people. And number four, make a plan to pay back someone you have cheated or that you owe this week. Maybe you're in this room and you, you know you've cheated people. You haven't been financially honest and you need to make that right. And you need, this week, you just need, you need to start making that plan to make that right. Go ahead and bow your head as we pray and close out today. Jesus, thank you for your generosity. Thank you that you are a generous God and you pour out on us even though we don't deserve it at all. Thank you, God, that you did not hold back that you were not stingy. God, that you are, you are not a hoarder. You did not hoard your wealth from us, your glory from us, God. Lord Jesus, and that you did not just pursue luxury and self-indulgence, but you sacrificed everything for us, God. You sacrificed so that we could know you, Lord Jesus, and gave it all on the cross. God, let us walk in your example. Let us walk in your way, Lord. And as we do that, Jesus, that we would find ourselves filled with you and that money would not have a grip on our life, but you would have the ultimate grip of our hearts, Lord Jesus. And then as we fight the battle of loving money, which we all are going to face every day, when we fight the battle of loving money, God, I pray that you would begin to win more and more and more in our lives. Let us see the lies, God, that 
the only way to be satisfied is to have more. God, in the stuff that we do have, let us put it to use for your kingdom to bless and love others. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.